This morning, with the help of God, I want to preach to you on the topic, the truth about tragedy. The truth about tragedy. Jesus was in, uh, involved in lots of tragedies, but in Mark chapter 5, the entire chapter is devoted to some major tragedies that Jesus stepped into and helped overcome. We have the story of the man that we know as Legion, who was possessed by multitudes of demons, healed and set free in the verses previous to the ones we just read. We read the story of a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years who was healed immediately when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And we are going to study specifically this morning this Jairus' account with his daughter who ends up dying when he is on his way to get to Jesus. Tragedy is something that comes to all of us. And what I hope the Holy Spirit will do for us this morning is help us to see tragedy through the lens that God wants us to see it. Because all of us face tragedy. There's not a single person here this morning that has not in some degree or another had to face tragedy. It's part of living in a fallen world. Ever since the initial sin that Adam and Eve did when they did exactly what God told them not to do, they sinned against God, they ate of the fruit of which they were told not to eat, sin entered the world, and the world has been dying since, it's been decaying since, sin reigns in rules here on planet earth. And consequently, we will all face tragedy. One of the goals of our enemy is to get us to blame God for the tragedy that we face and turn our backs to God and go the wrong direction. It's interesting that we all know the truth that we're all going to face tragedy. There's nobody here that's thinking, well, that's not true. We all face tragedy, but would you agree with me that when tragedy hits your home, when tragedy hits my home, we begin to think, well, God, where are you at? We begin to get frustrated with God. We want to blame God. This morning, what I hope the Holy Spirit will help us to do is see that there is a way in which we must respond to tragedy if we are to triumph through it. We know the story. We, we read what happens. We know what happens with Jairus' daughter. But this morning as we follow the story of Jairus, I want you to remember Jairus didn't know. And I want us to kind of walk through it through the perspective of Jairus. And I want to ask the question, how do we triumph through tragedy? There are really, in my opinion, only two paths that we can take. We can become discouraged, angry, and disappointed through our tragedies and take the wrong path. Let our hearts get hard and, and decide that we're, we're, we're just going to kind of turn 
from God and doing things the way God wants us to do things, where, you know, some people will, will choose to never even seek God because of tragedy that happened in their life. That is one path. The other, as we will see in the life of Jairus, is tragedy can lead us to God. This was the darkest moment of Jairus' life. There are a few things, if any, that are more frustrating to a father than having a child who needs help and being unable to provide the help. It's a very frustrating place to be. Jairus was there. He had done everything he could for his daughter, but it was not enough. She was dying. And I want to submit to you this morning that it is highly likely Jairus would have never sought Jesus had it not been for this tragedy. Our God has the ability of taking what was done, meant for evil. I think of Joseph saying what was meant for evil, God meant for good. That doesn't mean that God causes every tragedy. That doesn't mean that God smote his daughter with the sickness so that Jairus would find God. Don't misunderstand me. The reason we go through tragedy is because we live in a fallen world. But I want you to see this morning that our God has the ability to take tragedy, to take what was meant to turn us away from him, and instead use the very thing that was meant to hurt us, to drive us to him. And so in some ways, tragedy can be a good thing. I've been doing what I do for 21 years, and I will tell you that there is an incredible amount of people who turn to God in the midst of tragedy. I look at my own life. It was tragedy in my life that brought me to a place where I'm like, I've got to figure out if God's real or not. I've got to seek God. And you know what's fascinating about my story is that my tragedy was self-induced. It was, I, I, I was suffering the consequences of my own actions. I hadn't fallen into some trap or been done wrong by some people and ended up in a tragedy that I had nothing to do with. It was my own fault. And yet, even though I was in a tragedy of my own making, God used that tragedy in my life to turn my heart and turn towards him and ultimately come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know why some people are so stubborn like I am, but it takes some of, some of us hitting the absolute bottom of the barrel before we are willing to look up. And so the question is this morning, how do we respond to tragedy? The question is this morning, how can we triumph through our tragedies? How can we see God triumph through our tragedies? And I want to leave you this morning with really four practical actions that you can take, and not just can take, but four practical actions you must take if you're going to triumph through tragedy. Number one this morning, let your tragedy lead you to Jesus. Let your tragedy lead you to Jesus. Your enemy wants the tragedy in your life to do the exact opposite of that. Your enemy wants you to see pain and sorrow, and sometimes we really suffer pain and sorrow. 
Sometimes it's sickness that we can do nothing about. Sometimes it's our own making, like in my situation. Sometimes people hurt us and do us wrong. Tragedy comes to all of us, and the enemy wants us to turn away and go the wrong direction. If you are going to triumph through your tragedy, you must let your tragedy lead you to Jesus. You know, he is the only one who can meet our greatest needs. Jairus was searching for Jesus in the hour of his greatest need of his life. I believe that fear is really what kept Jairus from getting to Jesus a little sooner. It's my opinion that Jairus waited a little bit too long. The Bible says that Jairus was a a ruler of the synagogue. And by this time, the rulers of the synagogues, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the spiritual leaders of the day, they had already begun to conspire against Jesus. They had already begun to make a pact that we, the spiritual among us, we recognize Jesus as a heretic. And we must begin to plan and plot how to remove him from our midst. So Jairus is thinking to himself, I can't go to Jesus. But he's got to the place that he tried everything. It's obvious that he waited a little bit too long. I can't help but wonder how many times he thought about going sooner. I can't help but wonder how many times he thought, I just, I just wanted to get better on our own. He used every resource that he had. But as she continued to get worse and worse and worse, there came a moment when Jairus knew there is no other hope but Jesus. And Jairus eventually made the decision to allow his tragedy to lead him to Jesus. Number two. Second action that we have to take if we're going to triumph over our tragedies. Don't let obstacles turn you away. Don't let obstacles turn you away. As I've already mentioned, the first obstacle Jairus had to overcome was fear what all his friends were going to think. I mean, we don't know what happened with Jairus after this moment because it doesn't ever tell us. But the likelihood that he could have lost his influence, that he could have lost his position as the ruler of the synagogue... His income, all of it, it was very likely. It could have happened. Because it was no secret what took place here. Jairus abandoned the group. And instead went to Jesus to find healing for his daughter. Here's what you're going to find. There will always be obstacles that will keep you from fully and completely surrendering to Jesus. There's going to be obstacles, and you're going to have to make the conscious decision to say, I'm not going to let obstacles keep me from the Lord. There will be obstacles on the way. There will be obstacles that will keep you from ever even making that step. And if, you're, you know, if, you, if you think, hey, I'm going to wait to really give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to wait to get serious about serving God until I'm fully convinced all of my family is going to be for it, all of my friends are going to be supportive, it's, it's not going to impact my work in any negative way and ultimately it's going to be a benefit to my life in every capacity. 
you'll spend the rest of your life waiting. There will always be an obstacle. Not only was there an obstacle to keep him from ever taking that initial step, I want you to notice there's obstacles once he got there. And I want you to kind of enter into the experience of Jairus with me right now. Yes, we know how it ended, but remember, Jairus didn't. And when we're facing tragedy, we're in the same boat. We don't know how it's all going to end. We don't know what the ultimate answer is going to be. We don't know how the thing's going to play itself out. Jairus didn't know either when he left his house. There were a lot of unknowns. He gets to Jesus. He tells Jesus the story. And the Bible tells us that Jesus headed that way. So Jairus is like, yes, I... I don't think it's too late. Hopefully this is going to work. Jesus is coming to my house. And then all of a sudden, this is why I read the entire text. And then all of a sudden, everything stops. The crowd stops. Jesus stops. We're not moving anymore towards my house. And my daughter is sick to the point of death. And this woman reaches out, touches the hem of Jesus' garment, And and all of a sudden, Jesus stops the crowd. He says, stop, wait a minute, somebody touched me. And the disciples answered like, Lord, you're being thronged by a crowd. What do you mean somebody touched you? Like, yes, we're all being bumped into each other here. It's a crowd. Jesus said, no, 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 I felt virtue leave my body. Somebody's been healed. And as he's looking around, And my, you know, this is just my honest opinion. Jairus is thinking to himself the same thing the disciples did. Like, look, let's move, man. We have got to get somewhere. My daughter needs you. Somebody touched you. Like, of course. And then all of a sudden, this woman comes forward and she falls at Jesus's feet. And there's a really important phrase. It says that she, she basically fell and told him the whole truth. Now, for our reading pleasure, that was not recorded. Twelve years, she had suffered at the hands of many physicians. She had given everything that she possibly had to give. How long of a story is this? And there's Jairus thinking, my daughter is dying, and this woman got in the way. We're on a time crunch here. And you will find that once you make that decision that you're going to go get Jesus, you're going to turn to him, he's going to be your God, you'll find that on the path there are going to be obstacles that try to keep you from him. You will find this uh, turmoil in the heart sometimes as well. When you need God to be working in your marriage and in your home and in your life and in your situation... It seems like all of a sudden, whatever your need has just been put on pause, and you're watching someone else get their, you know, get their need met, get their miracle. Jesus is working in their life. And if you're not careful, you'll develop a heart of bitterness. A heart where you are discouraged, you're, you find yourself conflicted because you know you should be happy for the woman that was just healed of the issue of blood, but you're thinking to yourself, hey, you could have waited. He was coming to my house first. And now you've gotten my way. 
And now you've, you've taken my miracle. And you know what we're prone to do? We're prone to throw a little pity party and say, well, fine. I guess he didn't really love me like he did her. And then, just as Jairus is thinking that, guess what? Some friends show up to reinforce that narrative. Your daughter's dead now. You waited too long. She talked too long. You're out of time. Just leave. Just, just leave Jesus alone. Go home. I wonder what would have happened if he wouldn't have heard the Lord speak to that. Notice Jesus finally does address him here and speaks to him. Because he overheard what was going on. And he, he just said, basically, don't worry, just believe. Just believe. What am, I te- what am I telling you this morning? What I'm telling you is there are certain times in your life that if you want Jesus to be working in your life, if you want a relationship that, was close to, that is close to God, you are going to have to learn to push through the obstacles. There is always going to be something. There is always going to be a reason to push it off, push it off, push it off, to decide you're going to wait. You're not going to go. You're not, you're not, we'll do this later. I'll, I'll get serious about seeking God next week. I'll do it tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. And then when we finally make our mind up, as did Jairus, to go and to get there, we find that even on the way, there are obstacles right in front of us trying to keep us from the Lord. Number three, you have to remove the unbelief out of your life. I want you to note verse 40, just the first sentence of verse 40, and they laughed at him. They laughed at him. So this is a a custom that, is unfamiliar to us in 2021 here in America, but it was a custom in this time that sometimes people of wealth, such as Jairus, who was a ruler of a synagogue, that when they would have a family relative die, often, sometimes they were paid mourners, sometimes they were just people near that were, you know, close circle of influence, but they would show up at the house also at the funeral, and they would weep and wail, like just really weep and wail is just something they did culturally. And that's what was happening here. And Jesus shows up, and he basically says, hey, what's all the commotion about? This little girl, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. In other words, she's about to come back to life. And it says they laughed at him. Now, this is really an important um, statement that they laughed. Because I I want you to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is truly, truly weeping and wailing out of pain for the death of somebody. If Jesus shows up and says, quit your crying, she's going to be okay, you're not going to laugh about that. It'd make you angry. Imagine if it's your own child and you're mourning, and somebody comes up and says something similar, you're not going to start laughing and mocking. And it indicates a group of people that were definitely like kind of paid mourners. 
They didn't really have any emotional attachment here. They're just doing what they do. And all of a sudden, now they've turned from weeping and wailing to making fun. And I want you to notice these important words. But he put them all outside. There's a really important principle here about seeing God work in the capacity that only God can work. And that is we've got to get the belief out, unbelief out. We've got to remove the unbelief from our lives. I'm going to come back to this passage, but I want us to just look at something in chapter 6 about unbelief. So chapter 6, verse 1 says, he went out from there. I mean, this is like right on the heels of Jairus' daughter being brought back to life. He went out from there and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Verse 5 and verse 6 is something I would encourage you to go home and meditate on this week. To me, it is one of the more mind-blowing passages in the New Testament. And he, that is Jesus Christ himself. The one who defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's who he is. And he could do no mighty work there. He marveled because of their unbelief. Now, here's the principle. Unbelief is like a poison. And unbelief does, in fact, have the ability to stop or diminish the work of God. I have not figured it out 21 years And I don't believe that I probably ever will. I do not fully understand the balance between the sovereignty of God and man's free will. I don't understand it. I know that God is sovereign. I know that he's in control. I know that he can do whatever he wants to do. I know that he's God all alone. I know that he doesn't need me to do anything. On the other hand, I know that his word also teaches us that free will is part of his great big plan and that he chooses to work based upon, at times, the faith or lack thereof of people like you and I. I know the Bible says, and I quote, Jesus could not do a mighty work because of their unbelief. Now that brings us back to our text when Jesus took all the unbelief and he put it outside. Now here's the principle. Here's the the application. I'm talking about triumphing through tragedy. If you're going to see Jesus do a great work in your life, you must learn how to get the unbelief out. First of all, out of your own heart. 
I'm going to tell you something that, that this preacher right here has had to do a handful of times in my life. I've had to acknowledge I have unbelief in my heart. It's not your fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's me. I just have a hard time believing. And in those moments, I'm encouraged by the man who prayed when Jesus said, if you'll believe, it's possible. And what the man say? I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. In other words, it's like there's this degree of faith. It's like there's part of me that believes, but there's a part of me that still wonders. Be honest with God. Trust me, he knows about it. And, there, and, and pray, God help me get this unbelief out of my heart. But I want you to note that there were some physical people that were removed here. Jesus said, I've got to take these people and I've got to remove them out of the situation because what's about to happen cannot happen with their unbelief there. And you will find that there are sometimes people in your life who are speaking unbelief into your life who mock your faith in God, who do not support your Christian faith, who, who are ultimately leading you to unbelief. And we've got to be willing to get those people out of our life. Now, I want to clarify something. I'm not advocating that we all need to go hide in caves and surround ourselves with like-minded people who believe what we believe. That's not what I'm talking about. We are to be evangelizing to a lost and dying world. We are to be going and proclaiming the gospel to every creature. What I'm talking about are the people close to you, though, who are sowing into your life. You need people in your life that are speaking faith and that are encouraging and that are standing with you in your, in your, your faith and in your walk with God. And there are times if we are going to advance any further, we must acknowledge there are certain people in our life that when I'm around them, my faith, it goes down. When I'm around these group of people, my, my drive and my desire and my hunger to believe God and to walk with God and to do the things of God, it's like it's just zapped out of me. It seems like the power to stand in faith, it's just pulled right away from me every time I get around this group of people. Well, you need to get those people out of your life. You've got to remove the unbelief. I'm convinced this is one of the reasons that we often don't see God move like we should see God move. You know, as I've already said, we're all going to face tragedy. Even healing, New Testament healing, it was never meant to be forever. Everybody that Jesus rose from the dead eventually died again. People that were healed eventually got sick again. And while I don't have time today and the message isn't on healing, it's important that we understand that about Jesus's miraculous works. They were temporary. The healing in that moment was complete, but the person's body was still gonna get old. It was still gonna break down. They were still gonna die. And so when I talk about God working in, in faith, and when I talk about miracles, I'm not insinuating that every single thing we think God should do, he's gonna do. He's not. We don't know God's great big plan. 
In fact, sometimes we try to pray tragedy away, and as we see this morning, tragedy is often what leads people to God, and God knows what he's doing. He's like, no, I don't want this to go away yet because the person hasn't come to me yet. And so there's a big part where we just have to trust God with what God is doing and know that his ways are higher than our ways. Acknowledging that, I still believe that a lot of times the reason we don't see God move isn't necessarily because there's some other plan we're unaware of. It's simply because just like in this situation in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is wanting to move. God is wanting to move. But there's just a load of unbelief in our heart that says, well, we don't believe. There have been times I've, been, I've seen people that, that come you know, for prayer and, and they, needed, they needed God to do something in their life. And there have been a handful of times where there was a group of us that would gather and pray, and there was just an awareness. Like some of these people, they think this is crazy. And I haven't yet to date, but I've thought I ought to just push them out of the room like Jesus did. Because they're actually hindering this miracle from happening. Their unbelief is like a cancerous poison to all of us. And there's just a sense of awareness like, we have got to get the unbelief out. You personally this morning, whatever the need is in your life, you have to know that to pave that way for God to do his greatest work in your life, you must drive out the unbelief. Finally this morning, if we're going to see God triumph over our tragedies, you've got to let your tragedy lead you to Jesus. You have to be work and be conscious to not let obstacles get in the way. You've got to remove the unbelief out of your life. And number four, this is like the big picture of, of what's happening here in chapter five. The big picture, whatever it takes, whatever the cost, you must get Jesus to your home. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, get Jesus to your home. He is the king of kings. He is the God of glory. He is the Lord of hosts. There is nobody that has the power and the authority and the ability to meet whatever need it is that you need met. Nobody but Jesus can do what Jesus is capable of doing. You need him in your life, in your home. And as we see all of Mark chapter 5, right, it's these major needs. You've got a demon-possessed man that the community can't do anything with. They're, they've decided they're going to try to chain him up and just leave him in the graveyard. But he overcomes these chains with demonic power, breaks them continually. Jesus shows up and Jesus changes everything. We've got a woman with a medical need who for 12 years, she's done everything possible and there is no solution, there is no answer. But when Jesus shows up and she gets to Jesus, touches the hem of his garment, Jesus heals her. And then we have a man whose daughter is in dire need. And when Jesus comes into the house, everything changes. Jesus Christ is the common denominator, brothers and sisters. He is the answer to every need. 
And we must at any cost do whatever it takes to get him in the center of our situation, to get him to the center of our home. We to close with the reality that there are three homes that Jesus should reign in. First of all, the home of what I will call your heart, your soul, you. You know, when we, off, we, we look at a world in need, we look at uh, marriages in need, we look at a country in need, we look at the church, and the reality is it starts, the answer starts one person at a time, allowing Jesus Christ to completely, totally take over residence in their life, reign and rule in their individual heart. It happens one husband at a time, one wife at a time, one child at a time, one son, one daughter, one man, one, one woman, one boy, one girl, one person at a time. So this morning, I want to I challenge you and question you, is Jesus truly reigning in your heart? And if he's not, what obstacles are keeping you from Jesus? Even as you think about that, what excuses are you giving yourself at this exact moment for saying no to Jesus? Is he truly reigning in your heart? You know, the next place that Jesus needs to reign is in what I will call the home, right? The family unit. He needs to be reigning in our homes. It ultimately falls on our shoulders, men, as spiritual leaders of our homes. It starts with us. Your home should be a place that when people enter it, it is immediately evident that this home belongs to God. That Jesus reigns here. That his rules his principles, his laws, his word. It's all supreme here. He's in this house. He should reign there. If you want to triumph through your tragedy at any cost, you must get Jesus in your home at any cost. Whatever it takes, get him in the home. The same is true of the church. There's a lot of churches where Jesus is absent. And I know the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is. And you better believe that that word is true forever, 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 forevermore. But just because 40 people show up at a building and sing songs doesn't mean they've really showed up in his name. We need Jesus in the house. And I want to say it again, at any cost, we need Jesus in the house. Whatever it takes, we need Jesus in the house. There are churches, there are ministries that have not seen a, seen a single soul saved in 10 or 15 years. The Bible says Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Whatever they're doing, it's 
obviously not Jesus that's doing it. Because he seeks and he saves and he redeems and he rescues. This morning, I pray the Holy Spirit will help you change your view of tragedy. Will you let tragedy drive you away, further away? Or will you let it lead you to God? It's your choice. Will you see tragedy in your life as this obstacle that keeps you from God? Or will you see it as an opportunity to seek the God, the only one who's capable of meeting your need in that tragedy that you're in? With today being the 4th of July, obviously, like many of you, my mind is on our country. And I do think that we live in the greatest country on the planet. But our country is experiencing a tragedy. What we've watched the last year and a half, it is a tragedy. Buildings burning to the ground, lawlessness, nothing being done about awful things that are happening to communities. I could go on and on and on. It's a tragedy. When I look at the the state of what I will call the American church, I know it's a very general phrase, and there are a lot of good churches in this country, but generally speaking, when I look at the state of the American church, it is a tragedy. It's powerless. We've lost our influence. We're not winning the loss. We're not experiencing, truly experiencing the moving of God when we gather to worship. It's a tragedy. And I want to challenge you this morning. What are we going to do in the face of tragedy? Are we going to tuck our tails and run? Are we going to whine and moan? Sit around and talk about how bad it is? Or are we going to make up our minds, as did Jairus eventually, we're going to get to Jesus. He's got an answer to this. Are we going to make up our minds that it does not matter what the obstacles we face. It doesn't matter who tries to stop us. It does not matter what persecution we go through. It does not matter how hard it's going to get. We are going to get to Jesus. Are we going to make up our minds? We're done listening to the unbelief. We're going to push it out of our life. We are going to do whatever it takes. We are going to get the faith that God's called us to have. We're going to grab a hold of it. We're going to live by it. We're going to walk by it. We're going to preach it. We're going to share it. We're going to proclaim it. And whatever the cost, whatever it takes, we're going to keep pushing and we're going to keep pleading and we're going to keep praying until Jesus shows up and does what only Jesus could do.